Wait, that's a thing? Never heard of it. Oh, you have no idea. This is Haven Space, a safe place for fantasies. Brought to you by sex coach and researcher Sarah Perry. Hi folks, this is Sarah Perry and welcome back to Haven Space. Today we are going to be discussing sex work. And yes, part of sex work is prostitution. And prostitution and engaging in sex work in forms of an occupation, but also in forms of interaction sexually is a huge fetish for a lot of people. So tune in because by the end of this podcast, you should know what sex work is, what we can consider sex work, a little bit of history about the oldest profession there is and kind of the modern take on that, the different kinds of sex work, um, how this can be problematized, but how this also needs to be decriminalized and how to go about making this happen for yourself with all of the consent, respect, and pleasure that our bodies are capable and worthy of. Now, the National Task Force on Prostitution says that about 1 million people in the U.S. have worked as prostitutes in the U.S. that are currently alive. It's about 1% of all American women. But what's interesting to me is the National Task Force really only focuses on women. And in fact, prostitution is very, very common on people with queer identities, and it's very, very common in men also. So focusing on women, I think, as always, is really just the policing of female bodies as they exist under this kind of patriarchal society that we live in. And before I say all of these words that are going to make you go, oh my God, she's crazy, let's not listen to anything else that she's saying... Pay attention to how our responses to certain things and to certain phrases check us out from conversations and from listening because those emotions that are coming up are actually gatekeeping emotions and they exist for a reason. And when you get those emotions and they come up for you, I want you to question why these emotions come up instead of assume that you have nothing to gain from the content that you're being exposed to. I want you to take a moment to say, um, who put these emotions here? These responses are created either by... um, Epigenetics, which is just the idea like that our genes have changed over generations because of past historical occurrences and trauma inside of our own generation and bloodline. Um, or they could also be changed by the society we live in or by our parents and kind of the dogmas um, that they have instilled in us and that society has instilled in us or bigger than the dogma maybe is like the mores, the the things that we find to be ultimate truths. In fact, um, prostitution and sex work in general is the kind of thing that people vilify so, so much that even on TV shows that are considered relatively modern and progressive, you will have people who um, when talking to a heroin addict, homeless child are more upset by the fact that said child has been prostituting themselves than by the idea that the child is lost and doesn't have the tools to get out of an addiction and that they now share this family disease with you about addiction. The kind of the heavy subject always ritualistically comes back to um, the policing of someone's morality 
what we call morality politics, and deciding what is acceptable or not acceptable behavior instead of living in a fluid state where we recognize that things are situational. When we as a culture decide that prostitution is, quote, bad, what we're actually doing is making a judgment call on what constitutes prostitution, because obviously there are many people in this country and in many countries throughout the world who are married solely for convenience. In a lot of places, people cannot decline uh, sex inside of a marital relationship. And in this country, it wasn't even illegal. It wasn't even considered to be rape if you were married. Even if you were forcibly held down and violently assaulted, it wasn't considered rape because marriage then fit under this umbrella of morality. So we have to keep that in mind when we have conversations about sex work and these things come up that kind of tell us to make a judgment call is recognize why there is a judgment call when people are in a committed legal relationship that then would kind of expunge them from all fault. It doesn't matter what type of sexual interaction they're having as long as it's with the partner. And why we continue to perpetuate this, who makes money off of us thinking that. And when I say that, I don't mean um, figuratively. I mean, literally, who is making money off of the idea that we think prostitution is bad. Um, And I'm going to put it simply for you. Think about maybe companies that sell condoms and the idea that you should wrap it up if you're having sex with someone who has sex with other people, but only if they are dirty. Because in this country, STD testing has become extremely difficult to obtain. I know several people just in the last few weeks that have gone, requested full panel testing at their doctor's offices and have been told, oh, we're not sure who offers full panel testing. And then even if they're being offered full panel testing, it's full panel testing that doesn't involve most of the STDs and STIs that actually exist that we have cheap, easy, accessible tests for. What they're being told is, Uh, We're testing for, for example, herpes and HIV, or they're testing for STIs, which are infections that nowadays can literally be cleared up with one dose of one pill, something that would be completely obtainable to most people. And in a lot of places, you can get that pill for free even. And we're talking the holy trinity, right? Um, Syphilis, chlamydia, gonorrhea. And just recently, we've added trichlomoniasis, which is a vaginal infection, but it, it spreads the exact same way. And it can also be cured. But trichlomoniasis has been proven to be super, super, super common in our society. And most of these tests literally don't include it. And just to give you an idea, some of the symptoms of trichlomoniasis could be like irritation while urinating or uh, vaginal irritation or vaginal cramping and um, inability to lubricate. If you start thinking about the number of women who experience these issues and then recognize that we're not offered testing for these issues in a way that's accessible and that is carefree and kind, we literally are just perpetuating the idea that women's sexual health is unimportant. But that's all part of this major picture that says that women's bodies should be policed, not protected, policed, uh, enforced, and put under the care of a man 
who is married to them. In fact, I had a situation many years ago where I was at a party and I was having a conversation about some um, sexual studies that I was involved in at the time with the University of Houston. And one of the gentlemen there in the circle of conversation turned around and said, who does she belong to? And what he was saying was a joke. He didn't mean it as um, kind of a damaging statement, but in fact was searching for who was in charge of keeping my behavior in check and the things I was saying in check. And this is the very root of the laws that we have surrounding prostitution and sex work. So let's talk a little bit more about prostitution and sex work. Historically, Prostitution as a financial agreement has been a part of human society forever. In books such as Evolution's Rainbow and Sex at Dawn, they explore the ideas that prostitution and the exchange of sex and pleasure for other things in our society, we're talking money, but for safety or for... um, safekeeping or for someone to build a home for them or to raise their children with them. All animal species have sexual interaction as a give and take, as a quid pro quo. But in our society, we have this idea that sex for money is an issue. Well, remember that we buy everything with money. So similarly, forms of protection, how someone would have sex with uh, maybe a violent ex-boyfriend to keep from being hurt would be a form of kind of exchange for sexuality in exchange for something else. But actually prostitution in the US was widely legal originally. In fact, only a hundred years ago was prostitution made illegal. And this is because of the Women's Christian Temperance Union, which was like this guiding force that was influential in in banning drug use and a huge force in the prohibition of alcohol. And it coincides because we're talking about like 1915, 1920s, and that is right at the beginning of prohibition. We had this big wave of very kind of secure, elitist, um, closed off white elite women white privileged women with um, pocketbooks from husbands that were willing to fund their stuff and marriages that kept their names stable, who pushed to kind of change the fabric of what really was like behavioral freedom in this country. In other countries, prostitution is still legal. And in fact, in some countries, it's not seen as an occupation that is not prestigious. It's just one other job. I want you also to keep in mind that when we use terms like selling someone's body, she sold her her body for sex, what we're really saying is that her purity was being exchanged because we engage in selling pieces of our body all of the time in ways that are much more tangible and much more literal than letting someone borrow your vagina, for example. There are people who donate blood or semen who are literally giving away, selling pieces of their body that can only be produced inside of a human body 
And that is not considered or ever referred to as quote unquote selling your body. So let's change also our language because language shapes reality and it shapes the way we are exposed to things and relate to those things. But when I'm talking about sex work, I am not just talking about prostitution, i.e. the exchange of physical sex or penis and vagina, penetrative sex, or oral sex for money. Sex work actually encompasses a ton more stuff. Sex work can relate to massages with a happy ending that wouldn't traditionally be considered sex. Sex work can be exotic dancers who many, many times have no physical relationship with their clientele whatsoever, but instead develop deep emotional bonds, such as is explored in the book G-Strings and Sympathy by Catherine Frank who was a previous sex worker, was a dancer, and in her short stint as a dancer, really did notice these amazing bonds that were kind of created between dancers and their clients, their regular clients. Other than that, we see things like um, sex therapists as sex workers because they are engaging in kind of creating sexual freedoms for you in exchange for money. Somatic sex educators um, are people who hands-on can help you free your body from certain limitations it may have or certain techniques can be learned to help you find pleasure in easier ways, especially if you are differently abled and people don't know how to navigate your new body or if your body has recently changed, maybe through a gender affirmation surgery, or if you've had trauma due to an accident or something like that and your abilities or certain areas of your bodies have been scarred and learning to reuse those areas, a somatic sex educator or sexological body worker that does like um, pelvic therapies can really, really, really do valuable sex work. Um, Other forms of sex work may be things you haven't considered. It could be someone who does phone sex operator or someone who creates pornography, even if it's solo play, even if this person is literally taking pictures of themselves half naked. It doesn't have to be a person who's fully naked. It doesn't have to be a person who's masturbating or other kinds of pornography. Even those that are written, someone that writes erotic literature could be considered a sex worker. They're selling forms of sex and sexuality and arousal for money. And if we want to get really graphic about it, there is a whole field of prostitution that is completely legal and it's called sex surrogacy and sex surrogates in many countries around the world spend their careers learning how to dismantle people's insecurities to teach them how to go on to have kinder more loving relationships with themselves and with the world around them and hopefully to eventually get them to a point where they can be adjusted to the society we live in, which is hypersexual and super physically connective. And honestly, a lot of people don't naturally come by that and are coerced that that's not appropriate. So in a conference at um, the ASECT conference in Denver, which is the American Association for Sex Educators Therapists, we talked to some sex surrogates and they're 
perception of what life was like as a sex surrogate, working with a sex therapist and healing people who really had a very difficult time adjusting to society as an adult, especially after traumatic childhoods, they felt was life-changing. Additionally, consider people, for example, who run robot brothels or sex toy or sex doll brothels where you could go in and have sex with these toys and have them sanitized. And those people, those operators are in fact sex workers and they are providing you orgasms for exchange of money. So our interpretation of what sex work is has to be much more wide, much more encompassing. and has to be separate from our idea of morality. As you are hearing me say, obviously a lot of these people that go into the field of sexuality because of its healing potential and because the idea that it can change the world and revolutionize people's lives like I am, our sex work is valuable and is pure and is the kindest, most ritualistic behavior really comparable to forms of religion and worship. And Remembering also that there are religions across our world that do believe that sexuality and taking time to expand pleasure and pleasure worship are part of their communion with the earth and with their creator. Whether or not they come inside of the bonds of marriage or by the hand of a person that is more experienced and can guide you to it. Going a little bit further about the policing of women's bodies, After I've mentioned all of these different forms of sex work, and specifically in the comparison between um, maybe a street prostitute and somebody that works in a brothel, and then a step further into someone that works with therapists to do um, sex surrogacy, the only difference between these occupations, aside from their exposure to danger and their inability to reach out for help when they find themselves in danger is the fact that they were able to afford certification. And I want you to really consider what that means. Because going through a process of decriminalization of prostitution does nothing if we continue to demand accreditation for people's ability to engage in sex work. What we do when we create laws that make people get certified in order to be seen or deemed as acceptable in their careers is that we create differences between middle and upper class and lower class individuals. We make it difficult for people who are already engaging in this type of work to get the certification they need to be able to operate legally. Let me make a parallel between a different occupation. Let's talk about what would happen if a person who works in any kind of foster care support center, who lives in the community, has been in that area, has grown up there, and has the support and the trust of the community and of the children they are servicing, engages in forms of therapy, group therapy, group therapy organization projects, and team building and is never able to achieve any kind of therapy certification. Imagine how not having that therapy certification can disproportionately disadvantage them to accessing grants, to accessing other types of donations that may come from other places to support the group they're in, 
and how these little nuanced things like a piece of paper to prove that you've done the work actually end up making the situation worse. So some of the things to really watch out for are the ideas that sex workers typically are not entitled to any kind of health insurance, therefore have less access to things like testing, to things like um, other forms of health care, and are more likely then to be engaged in situations where they had a symptom that they weren't able to check out. So a good thing that we can all do is advocate for sex worker rights sex worker unions that would demand that some health benefits are provided or even some safety regulations in states that would make it to where sex workers, if they disclose they are sex workers, automatically have access to STD testing and different forms of testing and to emotional support because sex workers do provide a heavy amount of therapeutic support to their clients and therefore need to have an outlet that we as a society support them having access to. But let's take it back a notch and go back to morality politics. These big organizations that are pushing against prostitution and sex worker rights are actually exploiting the idea that most of the prostitutes in this country and the people going into sex work are young teens. Well, this definitely goes back to how we police people's behavior, especially as children, because this term of identity politics of like, think of the children has been used in basically every major freaking campaign. And I'm not just talking drugs and alcohol and sex. I'm also talking Trump campaigns and Hillary campaigns and really literally everything that we want to get support on. We just say, think of how the children will be affected. But the only really major study that has been done interviewed 17 major U.S. cities, big child sex trade organizations. And of those, they only got data from 92 different kids. And they say the average age for entrance into prostitution is about 12 for boys and 13 for girls. Now, we're saying 12 for boys, but most of what they're counting as boys are actually lumped in with all of the trans, gay, queer, intersex kids also. This is problematic because in the queer community, statistically, more common to have lost a place to live. Therefore, these children tend to end up on the streets and prostitution is an easy job that takes a pretty small amount of skill set to begin. All I'm saying is that the data is super skewed. Yes, we have huge issues when it comes to child trafficking, but luring and child trafficking are a completely different issue than the legalization of prostitution. And if we made these things legal, then we could actually offer help to people that go to the police. Right now, one of the biggest arguments that people who kidnap other people and sell them into sex work say is that they can't go to the police because the police will just press charges against them. So it makes perfect sense that anybody would be scared to actually come forward. If you'd like to engage in sex work, and become a sex worker, I suggest that you spend time doing a little bit of research, find places where you know that you can be safe. So I'm saying maybe publicly engage in sex work in places that are public clubs that allow that type of thing. Um, and don't take clients to a place that is private between you and them until you know the person well. Similarly, if you'd like to hire a sex worker for something like prostitution, make sure you know the person well 
because you want to make sure that they have been tested, that they take care of themselves emotionally, and that you're not being a person that provides toxicity to them, and that you can be a source of good for each other. There's no reason that we can't develop long bonds with people that we engage in sexual contact with, even if that sexual contact is completely platonic. Thanks for listening, and I'll check you out next time. This has been another podcast of Haven Space. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Haven Space by Sarah and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Haven Space by Sarah. If you enjoyed this talk, consider becoming a patron and helping fund more talks like this in the future.